1: Teach you how to do The same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It is a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's one Or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you with another episode. The Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. I just have to point out in our chat room, like our chat room gets so excited. If you're not part of the chat room, then you're missing half of the show, basically, because the other half of the discussion occurs in the chat room. Now, I try to call out the chat room anytime I can. Anytime I happen to notice it, as I was doing the intro, I look over and people are wondering, like, is the show happening today? And I'm like, I don't know. I I think it is. I showed up. Is something not going? And then I realize, oh, they're just anxious. Show starts at 6.0330. That's how radio works. Hey, good evening, guys. Delighted to be here with you. Uh, We got a lot of stuff to get to. Cubes OS. If you haven't played with Cubes OS, you have to go check it out. What Cubes OS is is an operating system for the privacy-minded computer enthusiast that wants to do things um, in, in the most secure way possible. On Sunday, uh, on Destination Linux, we had a guy ask, he said, How do I, wh- what do you recommend I do for checking banking? And the recommendation that I gave him at the time was, well, I would use a dedicated device. And of course, the reason that I use a dedicated device is because it lowers the attack vector. And what Cubes OS is doing, they're trying to solve that problem in a slightly different way. One of the chat room participants actually asked, well, couldn't you just use a VM or couldn't you just use some sort of containerization technologist, what they were implying? That's what Cubes OS does. It takes containerization and applies it to uh, daily desktop computing environments. The problem with Cubes OS or the problem with really any uh, operating system that that tries to compartmentalize stuff is when you start dealing with the display. And so Cubes OS is taking on what they're calling the GUI domain. If you're not familiar with Cubes OS, Cubes OS is a security-oriented, free, and open-source operating system for personal computers that allows you to securely compartmentalize your digital life. One of the big things coming soon in Cubes OS 4.1 is the first public version of the GUI domain the next step in developing the graphical hardware and the display management over the whole system. Very briefly, the GUI domain is a cube. Uh, it is a cube separate separate from Dom zero that handles the display related task and uh, system management. One of the biggest security concerns at the moment for cubes is how much power is in Dom zero. Once a person has access to that, they basically can do whatever they want. Um, and, while they separate it effectively from what is running inside the application cube, uh, Dom Zero is still a big, bloated, complex domain that performs many uh, that performs many functions. It handles managing other domains, displaying graphical interfaces, multiple devices, including audio, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, what they have tried to do is mitigate many of the GUI-related risks, um, and they you can get so far, and they've done the best that they can. Um, And they explain all of this in great detail in the article that we'll have linked free in the show notes at podcast.asknoahshow.com. But the, the, the long and the short of it is DOM0 is responsible for uh, a lot of stuff. And so they would like to get further compartmentalization, further separation. So the current model in which the GUI and the administrative domains are both, uh, both of those are contained within DOM0. And it provides too little separation, they say. And the root exploits seem to be inescapable in a system as monolithic as Linux. So what needs to be ready? There are two big issues that were preventing them from solving this problem. The previous cubes architecture that needed to be that needed handled for effective approach to the GUI domain, how the GUI protocol relied on DOM zero level privileges and how managing anything in the system required DOM level access to the hypervisor. Uh, They say, quote, In brief, it consists of a GUI agent and a GUI daemon. The GUI agent runs in a cube and connects to the GUI daemon in DOM0, passing a list of memory addresses of window buffers. As the GUI daemon is running in DOM0 with privileged access to everything, it can map about any page in cube's memory. You can see why this might be a bit worrying. Access to memory is power. Thus, DOM0 is all-powerful. It would be far worse if we tried to duplicate the architecture and make our own GUI domain in a cube with the same memory-related privileges, it would just result in two dom zeros. Rather than uh, rather than being reduced, the attacker the attack surface would actually be increased. In the upcoming release of cubes 4.1, uh, they're going to change this protocol to a more flexible form, and so it will no longer use direct memory addresses. Uh, instead, it's going to use an abstract mechanism in which the cube has to explicitly allow access to a particular memory page. And so in their current implementation under Zen, they use the grant tables mechanism, which provides a separate memory allocation API and allows uh, working on grants and not directly on memory pages. Other implementations will also be possible, whether for another hypervisor, for example, if you're running KVM, or a completely different architecture, not even based on shared memory. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know a lot about the, the inner workings of cubes and how, uh, and how they've, uh, how they've, how they've managed to leverage container technology, um, and, and how effective it is. But I do know that there are a lot of people that are looking into it. I actually, I saw an interesting interview with Edward Snowden and he was talking about his fascination with cubes and how he believed that there was a, uh, there was a contrast between the kind of desktop environments that Tails offers, for example, and the kind of desktop environments that Cubes offers. And I understood what he was talking about. It's one thing to have uh, just Tails and have it available, and then it's, a, it's, a, it's an amnesic operating system. So it disappears as soon as you turn the machine off. And that's good if you're trying to do one simple task. You wanted to review a file or you wanted to copy one from some from one to the other, but you're not – Making persistent changes to the computer. What about a machine in which uh, you want to you want to install the operating system onto the hard drive? You want to have some presence there, but you want things to be separated out and you want some compartmentalization. I think this fits the bill rather well. And uh, and so if you've not played with it, op- th- these people are working their tails off to stay at the very forefront of security issues and try to get them solved and try to do the best they can to mitigate. The risks. And so as I'm watching, it's interesting because as I'm watching people emailing shows, asking in the chat room, had lunch with a buddy of mine today who up until I'd say maybe two months ago was very, very. I don't have anything to hide. What do I care about privacy for? And uh, and, and listening to him today, we were having a conversation and he just said, you know, these are some of the concerns I have. Which ones are the which one of these concerns are, are well-founded and which ones are not well-founded? I said, yeah, all of them are actually. A lot of what he was concerned about are things, are real threats, uh, real privacy threats. And, uh, and, and Cubes is doing what they can to combat that. And if, and if you're looking for an operating system, uh, cube should definitely be on your list of ones, to, of ones to try to protect your privacy. Now, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that you use Cubes as a daily driver. I mean, if you can, if you can get away with that, more power to you. I would find it personally very, very difficult to, uh, to, to exist on an operating system in which everything is too compartmentalized because just a lot of work is going onto the Internet, searching for things, downloading things, arranging things in documents and, and files and sending them back up. Again, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com Add your voice to the conversation. Make your voice heard. We often talk about free software on Linux and what was announced was Waveform Free, a professional digital audio workstation with Linux support. Now, here's why that's important. We have a number of different options on Linux. And audio, frankly, we probably have the the, uh, the better hand of the cup. Um, there's a lot of options, really good solid options to include Audacity for editing audio on Linux. I don't know that there's a lot of people out there saying to themselves, I wish I had... Uh, I, I I wish I had more tools uh, uh, to to edit audio on Linux. We're pretty well covered. Video editing, it could go. We could have a couple more tools that would be great, or at least flesh out some of the tools we have. But it's good to see that mainstream companies are now entering this space, and they are trying to compete with those open source alternatives, with those open source platforms. And the latest is Waveform Free. Uh, you've heard of Traction T7 which is considered one of the best free digital audio workstations out there. Uh, and, and inside of the professional world, you have things like Traction and Sonar and Pro Tools. Um, typically, the way that Traction has, has done software, they release new versions of Traction, and then they, they take an older version uh, every few years, and they release it entirely for free. Um, with no limitations now you i want to point out you can purchase traction for windows mac os linux and you can just you pay for the software it's closed source but you can pay for the software and you can have the latest version um, but they take one of some of the older versions and they release them for free i need to separate here free as in beer from free software this is not free software it's not open source uh, this is closed source software but they're giving it away for free and they were due to release the next free version of their software. But guess what? It's not going to be Traction T8 or even Traction T10. Instead, they're issuing a brand new version of software called Traction Waveform. Now, Waveform 11 is, Waveform 11 free is pitched as their free, again, as in beer, replacement for T- T7. Um, they have links to Traction T7 that now redirect to the Waveform landing page. Waveform has this is from their site. Waveform has more capabilities uh, than most enthusiast producers will ever need. There are no restrictions whatsoever, unlimited track count, popular plugins, and enjoy deeply capable feature sets. Reads the official blurb. Audio enthusiasts no longer need to wait for an older release to be gifted, as the current version with an improved UI, better performance, multi-monitor support, new samplers and other tools, and a vast and a VST sandbox. Uh, no crashing the entire system every time an instrument goes rogue is now available, um, but there is a catch. There are uh, Traction Waveform Free has a couple of limitations. While the free builds boasts uh, boasted all of the features akin to their Pro version, there are a couple of things that are different. A, ra- uh, a uh, for instance, there's no track editor. There's no arranger track. There's no quick actions. There's no layout customization. Um, metering is also less visible and, uh, the, the mixed DSP are behind paid only curtains, uh, as well as a couple of other functionalities such as some of the DSTs and so on and so forth. Um, now the good news is maybe you don't need DSTs. Maybe you don't need the plugins. Maybe you just need, want to open up a piece of software and cut audio. And if that's the case, waveform free is a great way to go. The other thing to consider here. Is When you start working with industry standard software, even if, there, even if you pay a penalty in the form of licensing and even if you pay a penalty in the form of your wallet, there is something to be said about the fact that you're able to exchange these, uh, these formats with other people that are using that software without having to actually install Windows on your laptop. One of the things I see erupt on the forms... All the time on the Internet that we're really bad at doing as Linux users is a company comes to Linux and says, here, here's our product on Linux, which is something that we should all be. Go. Thank you, company, for making your company for making your product available on an operating system that has less than 10 percent of the market share. We really appreciate you doing that. Instead, people throw their arms up and go, oh, it's not open source. Let's worry about getting people onto a platform where they control the platform itself, where the platform itself is not spying on them and collecting their data and collecting telemetrics. Then we can go back and revisit the software licenses of all the all the software that people put on top of their laptop. And by the way, some of you who are complaining about the fact that these companies are releasing software for free because it's not open source are the same people that have steam installed on your laptops. Or desktops, gaming machines. See, this is why I'm not a gamer. There is, I think there is bigger repercussions to this, because what this article tells me is that these companies are responding to FOSS. They're responding to the fact that there are people out there that are offering their... Services and you're getting OBSs to come out and you're getting the VLCs to come out and you're getting the audacities to come out and become these de facto standards in their industry. These companies are looking up that are used to charging money for the software and being the dominant industry holders and going, why is everybody using their free platform? We need a free platform. So do we win? No. Is it, a, you know, have they, has they, have they gone open source? No. But we are at a point now where people uh, are paying attention To the software landscape and are evaluating their options out there and these companies need to compete at least on a monetary level even if they're not competing on a software licensing yet again I think down the road they're going to find that if they're not paying if they're not charging exorbitant fees for their software they can't pay exorbitant fees to developers thus they have to start relying on the community and bringing the community in on the other side of the curtain. Again, one eight fifty-five four fifty. Noah, that's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow Chaz calls us from the New York quarantine. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
2: Hey Noah, you know you can actually call me uh, KD two TMR if
1: you want to. <laughs> the uh, I how's it going there? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm feeling for you guys. It's that's got to be rough. It's crazy. Um,
2: uh, most of the cases are concentrated downstate, but. Since Downstate kind of runs the entire show. Uh, yeah. we stuck in quarantine as well. You can't go anywhere. Uh, bars, restaurants, takeout only. And it's a very long list of uh, so-called essential employees. And luckily, I'm on it over at L3 Harris Corporation. Are you really? But uh, yeah, it's rough. Yes, actually.
1: Fantastic. Well, it's fantastic. Cool. I, I suppose. I mean, they need. I, I, do you guys do public radio and st- Public, uh, you know, um, public two-way radio and stuff like that.
2: Uh, Yes, it's considered national defense and public safety. Okay. um, Yeah. All right, sounds good. Well, Uh, What can I help with today? Well, um, my X-260 picked uh, the apocalypse. Uh Oh. Um, Yeah. Now, there was a spill last night, so I think that's what the reason behind it was. But I did, within a few hours before that happened, Um, uh, install Farron OS on it. So I just want to make sure there's no recorded cases of Farron OS completely trashing a laptop, right? None. Okay, good. Now, on to the real question. Um, I am replacing it with a 270 um, because USB-C has spoiled me. Um, And I pulled the RAM module out uh, because my 260 is a 16 gig and my 270 is a that's coming is going to be an eight gig. And while I was at it, I grabbed the SSD, the internal battery and the, uh, obviously the external battery as well is there anything else that i should try to salvage from this thing before i take it Uh, um well i'm not taking it i
1: I, I mean i'll i'll be honest (laughs) i'll be honest with you so like with the 260s right in working good condition on ebay you'd expect to get 250 bucks out of it so if you want it for your own collection so you have a couple spare parts that would be one thing or you know if you if, if any of them are interchangeable i don't remember if the batteries are they might be um and certainly the power supplies and stuff would be but, uh, if you're not going to do that with it, I, I suppose you could part it out and sell it and sell the parts on eBay, but it would be an awful lot of work for not an awful lot of return on your time.
2: Yeah, I didn't, I, I, w- I don't trust, uh, my eBay rating is too good to, uh, risk selling anything for yeah. this laptop, but I did at least want to swap the, uh, RAM module out, and I figured, well, while well, I got it open, let's uh, you know, call up a guy with some hands on. Uh, well, I tell here's, here, you, know,
1: I tell you what, here's what I do if I woke up in your shoes, Chaz. If I woke up in your shoes and I had a laptop that took a spill, I would, I would be honest about it. It would be the first thing in my description, but I would put it up on eBay and say, um, as is, no guarantees. This is what happened to the computer. If you want to buy it, and put two hundred bucks your best offer, and take whatever the first guy offers. Um, you know, it, there are a lot of people like like my friend Ryan who enjoy fixing that kind of stuff, who enjoy taking that kind of thing apart and pulling it apart and go, I could get a six hundred dollar laptop for 200 bucks. I'd be happy to pull it. You know, there are people that will do that. And so you'd be doing a service um, to the to the e-waste community by by. By by sending that through and, and letting somebody else hack on it. Um again, if you look at it and just say, well, it's just it's kind of a risk for me because I don't want to make I don't want to imply that this computer is any better shape than it is, I would just disclaim that in the description. Hey, this is what this is what you're buying. If you're interested, great. If not, uh no big deal. If it doesn't sell in thirty days, then I'd chuck it. Okay.
2: All right. Yeah, I mean I took everything I wanted out of it, so I might just do that.
1: Well, I appreciate the call, Chaz. Uh, I will talk a little bit more about this uh, towards the end of the episode, but we've got a ton of new content to help people quarantine and chill over at Mindrip Media. So head over to YouTube.com slash MindDripMedia and check some of that out. James calls from California. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Hey, how we doing? Uh, how you doing? Good, good. Pretty good.
3: So um, uh, I've got uh, some medical problems, And so the only way I can use a computer is by remoting into it uh, from a phone. Okay. So Mm -hmm. all the computers they use have VNC running on them. Um, It's been a long time, like a year or more, since I've been able to use uh, Linux of any kind. I used to use um, Ubuntu. Um, I I forget, you know, like the pre-Gnome version, I could install it. And you just check a box, VNC server's ready to go, and I can remote into it and do my thing, right? Because I've got to get somebody else mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, operate the computer to install everything. So my question is, um, I want to get back with like a new, you know, modern version or, you know, latest version of any kind of Linux um, but i'm looking for something that i could just easily, you know, have somebody else who may not know anything about it just install it and very simply get vnc server up and running so that i could just hop in and start doing my thing.
1: Yeah, I, okay, so let's um let's start with this. There you're you're going to have a difficult time ever finding a distro pre-installed with um with vnc because it's a security risk, right? Nobody wants to have vnc on 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 a computer if they weren't aware that it's running and it's typically something that you want to run only on a closed network you don't want to go over the internet i'm probably saying stuff you already know but i'm i'm explaining that to explain as to why you're probably not likely to find something with vnc pre-installed for options as far as the quickest most easiest way to get vnc installed on a computer the easiest if if you're just talking about the easiest uh, way to do it the only thing the only uh project i'm even aware of that automates a vnc install as part of the operating system loading is the rivendell appliance suite um it's something not designed for daily computing but it is something that you can literally take an iso and boot it and have a vnc server by just checking a box that says enable vnc server so d- does that most directly answer the question as you've asked it
3: yeah so So then two questions. Rivendell, I never heard of it. I'll check it out. Mm -hmm. Um, Would that get me like, you know, once I got in, I have a desktop, web browser, um, and you know, maybe like some basic packages I could install, kind right. of thing, like a it, package manager. Yeah, pack it's finger.
1: it's essentially it it is it not essentially it is a CentOS 7 desktop. That's what it is. It's a CentOS 7 desktop with a bunch of packages into it. It just so happens that their pre-bundled appliance DVD, their ISO that you can download and just install, happens to have the package for Tiger VNC server in it because that's part of their application suite and it's it's for a number of reasons it's already included in there. That's the fastest most direct way I can point you to to get a distro pre-installed with VNC. Now having answered the question as you've asked it let me make a couple other recommendations. Um Tiger VNC v, setting up VNC server is simple. It's it's very very simple. And so what I would like to do with you uh, with with you um James, I'd like to put you back on hold. I'd like to have Sarah get your phone number. What we'll do is I will pair you with one of my techs at AltaSpeed Technologies, and they will walk you. Th- they will go and and set up the VNC server for you on a desktop, and then they will document that process and send it to you in in a complete idiot's proof guide. Because that, that's the way I do documentations, James. If I'm if I see if I if I go in to do something, I only want to think about it one time. I only want to solve the problem one time. The next time I come back to that, I should just be able to monkey see, monkey do. Because I've already learned how the process works. I already learned what all the commands do and why they're there and why they're in the order they're there. I don't need to do that the next time. The advantage to that documentation Mm -hmm. in in a person in your position is you can hand it to some guy in the street and say, hey, I want you to follow these instructions exactly as they're written. And he can just monkey see, monkey do, type the things that that we say in the guide, and you'll have a VNC server set up. and, And that way we'll get you back on Linux and we'll get you back connected with the ability to do that remotely from your phone. And you'll have a way going forward to make sure we'll do it with something like Ubuntu. So it's, uh, it's very generic. And you'll be able to even do some distro hopping and jump from desktop environment to desktop environment and see what works best for you. Oh, that'd be sweet. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So hang on the phone. Don't hang up. I'll put you back on hold. Sarah will grab your contact info and uh, and we'll get a ticket for, uh, at AltaSpeed opened up for you and we'll see if we can get to that um, probably this week. It says, as you might imagine, working in IT uh, during the coronavirus is both a busy and a slow time. It's it's busy in that there's a bunch of people that want remote connection stuff set up. It's slow in that nobody's doing projects right now. Again, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 855 450 6624 the email, live at com. Mike calls from Connecticut. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
4: Uh, thanks, Noah. Um, I've got some questions for you on setting up uh, Capsman on micro routers. Okay. Um, I've, been li- I've been listening to you uh, off and on on this show and some of the Jupiter broadcasting shows for a while. Um, and based on some of the stuff I heard, I... I got some of these Microtik routers, and um, I live in a rural uh, uh, plot of land, and I've got a router in my house, but I've also got one in a barn uh, with some Ethernet cables run out to the barn, and uh, then another one that's in a screened-in porch to provide you know, some coverage in the yard. And right now, I'm just... Uh, duplicating uh, wi fi setups on each of these things, and i 'd like to get the Capsman man to function and work, but so far every time i 've tried uh, i 'm hitting a stone wall, and i can 't get the uh, access points to connect to the manager okay part of it well let, it up.
1: let let's let 's start with a couple of things so first of all, there are some hard limitations on um on, uh, on 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 kafman that you should be aware of now i doubt you're hitting any of them but 32 radios per cap 32 virtual interfaces per master radio interface right um as far as getting them as far as getting them to connect um the 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 best thing that i the, the thing that i would suggest is going through the 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 wiki the microtech wiki and i will have a the exact uh, configuration article for caps Uh, linked in the wiki or further for their wiki linked in the show notes at podcast.asknoahshow.com so you can check those out and that will probably help here's the thing if i woke up in your shoes what i would choose to do I, i wouldn't solve this problem with caps man and here's why their uh, their access point management is very much secondary to what Microtech does very, very well, which is routing and routing inexpensively. If you want the Microtech uh, equivalent of inexpensive but very, very good performing central management wireless, uh, look at Unify. Um, you can buy a Unify access point. You can buy them used for under $100. You can buy them brand new for $140. You can buy the small little... Um, uh, cloud. You can either you just install the distro yourself and run the controller on any Debian box or you can buy their cloud key, which is like a hundred dollar uh, little thing that just hangs off of your network and has a built in web UI. And from there, literally your job, once you get the network set up the way you want it is you click adopt and every access point will automatically suck in the network settings, automatically be distributed and, and automatically, uh, automatically respect each other and their channels separation and all of that. Um, I've used Capsman a little bit when we were working with the Wisp. I've not dealt with it extensively, and so I, I don't have a, you know I don't have a tutorial or a guide that I can reference. Other than every time I've had a question about Microtech in general, um, their wiki has been a phenomenal source of information because it literal their documentation is what I was just describing to the last caller. It's a lot of monkey see, monkey do.
3: Right. Okay.
4: I will, uh, take a look at their wiki and I'll also investigate this, uh, unify access point and, uh, some of that stuff.
1: Okay. So- sounds good. Yeah. I appreciate the call, Mike. Uh, one 855 450 Noah. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at com. Bruce joins us in our interactive mumble room. Hey, Bruce, welcome into the Ask Noah show.
0: Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How can we Uh, as, as many, uh, People have done um, last weekend. A lot of churches uh, that could pivoted to doing online services, and we yep. were one of them. And so, uh, me being the the technical guy of the of the congregation was uh, able to facilitate it. But um, it sounds pretty good. But the video, uh, you know, the camera we had, I tried some streaming before, and we just never really, um, you know, put too much effort or money or anything into it. But now that we're forced to do it. Um, I actually sent an email with a link to the video. the 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 video's kind of grainy, a little bit. It's a you know ten year old camcorder, and you know I've got the paradox of choice problem where there's a million cameras out there, and I'm not sure. First of all, what I can even get my hands on in short order or, or mailed to me. Um, but uh, I just wanted some guidance on what kind of class of camera for like a. Um, I'm just doing a standard uh, OBS with a USB dongle and and video composite in on an RCA. Okay. So um, yeah, I'm just looking for some. So you know, cut cut down the options a bit.
1: Sure, sure. So the so the the, the your first issue is resolution, right? Um, what we want to do is we want to have we want to capture as high of resolution as we can. In other words, we want as many dots um, to make up the image as possible. Because the more dots we have, the less grainy something looks. The issue with what the 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 way that you're doing it now is when you're using a composite connection like that, you've got like the little yellow, red, and uh, white connections. Is that right? Yeah. The problem with doing that is they top out at uh, at about seven. Well, I don't even know if they go to 720. It might be it might be 420. Um, but the nah, I think it is. I think it's 720. Um, the, the camera resolution is much, much lower than than today's cameras. And so that's the first thing that you're going to experience. And of course, that problem is then compounded. If you do any sort of digital zooming, in other words, you crop essentially the digital video to show and then stretch the remaining picture. To show a specific spot or frame something up. And of course, as you know, as you alluded to, um, you're able to kind of move the camera around a little bit, but there's just a limit to what you're going to be able to do with that resolution. And so what I would tell you is the minimum resolution that you'd want to use in a camera for doing any sort of online streaming or broadcasting would be 1080p um, 1920 by 1080 and what there's a couple different ways to get get there. Obviously, the best uh, budget is no object kind of a, uh, an option would be to purchase a uh, a a PCI HDMI capture device that will ingest that HDMI feed over the PCI bus. Uh, a, a, a step down from that would be the Magewell USB capture, which will allow you to capture the, the same video, same quality, all of that, but you have to manage your USB bandwidth very carefully. Um, but the easiest way, the easiest, most inexpensive, and if I understand your uh, situation correctly, you would really like this to be resolved by this weekend – um, is to if
0: at all possible. I mean, we can wait if we have to. It's working, but uh, yeah, sooner than better.
1: Everything is possible. Um, what what you can do, uh, Bruce, is you can you can use a Logitech C920 or C930, and this is a small portable webcam that uh, will deliver a 1080p picture to you right over a built-in USB uh, uh, connection. And so you don't have to have an external capture interface uh, like the Magwell, which adds additional cost and additional complexity. This will all come over the single USB, uh, single USB interface. They're also nice, but because they're inexpensive that you can put them anywhere. So maybe what would have been a single camera setup now can be a two-camera setup or a three-camera setup. Um, and, and Bruce, what I'd like to do... Um, because I guess this is just the night to give stuff away i i if it's all right with you i I, I don't have a way to put you on hold but if you can send an email to help at dot com and just say hey I was the guy that called to ask noah and Noah said he'd give me a free camera we'll get my team we'll get one shipped out to you tomorrow uh, and you'll have it for this weekend
0: well the funny thing is is that I'm staring at a logitech c920 I really All right, things
1: all right what do you think of it yeah i'm I'm pretty sure sh-
0: uh, well i've used it like I use it for my own uh know business conference calls that require video and that sort of thing sure and it does very well but in my experimentations up till now um you know we were putting the camera away at the back and there's you know optical zoom is is terrible you know doing it from the back of the church but now digital zoomist, i can put yeah. the thing 10 feet yeah i can put the thing 10 feet from the from the pulpit so you know i i i went with the camera first like the the camcorder first thinking that that would probably end up being better but you know what you say makes sense. I should probably get, at least give the webcam a shot and see if it does the trick. But um, I guess what you're also saying is that if I'm not going to just have a device that feeds USB directly in, I'm going to need a capture card, a, a decent capture card, and not just do a USB into a laptop kind of thing.
1: Right. It's it's interesting, right? If you think about the math of it, it let's say let's say let's I, and I, I can't remember what the native resolution of of NTSC video is. It's been too long. But um, let, let's say that I'm right and it's it's 480 lines of resolution. If you can get over twice the image quality. Um, to begin with, it's like being twice as close to the talent because you can throw half of that image away and still maintain a, a really solid image. So it's just starting with the higher resolution will get you further. but there's there's another there's another solution in here. You can combine the 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 c nine twenty with something like a USB over Ethernet extender. Now there is a limit to how far you're going to be able to extend uh, a, a USB cable. But what these extenders do cool. is they will they will allow you to use a a, a regular Cat five uh, uh, cable. It doesn't encode anything over TCP or IP, but it it allows you to use a regular uh, network cable and uses those as balance to get a USB connection from one end of a place to another.
0: Yeah, we actually do that for our projector.
1: Oh, there you go. So yeah, so you could you, so, I mean, same kind of idea. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's what I would do. Uh, that's what I would do, Bruce, and I, I would give that a shot and, and see if that works and if that gets you. If you already have the camera, then you can give that a shot. And uh, you know, as I as I mentioned to the other guy, if you need anything uh, for your church, you let me know. Just send an email, and my team will help you.
0: All right, sounds great. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at com. Firefox has launched the Better Web with Scroll. The Firefox Better Web initiative is about bringing ease back into the browsing the web. We know that publishers are getting the short end of the stick in the current online ad re- ecosystem and advertising network. They make it difficult for excellent journalism to thrive, to give users what they want, which is usually quality content without getting tracked by third parties. We know that there needs to be a change, and we've combined Firefox with Scrolls' growing network of ad-free sites to offer users a fast and private web experience that we believe can be our future. So last year, they announced the enhanced tracking protection by default. And anything privacy related to Mozilla, if you, if you listen to the show, you are aware of it because we, I, I keep my finger on the pulse of everything Mozilla does they're just a fantastic company and they really have the best interest of users at heart now they claim that they've blocked more than 2 trillion third party trackers to date i just got after my team uh, 2 days ago we we i i went on firefox and, and firefox when i went to com said hey the site is tracking you and firefox blocked it and i immediately got on our internal company chat and said what the heck is on our site and what is tracking people and whatever it is, kill it with fire. And it turns out it's the Twitter embed. And so we are going to be removing or at least moving the Twitter embed to a, a page inside of AltaSpeed. Um, They in doing this in protecting users privacy and, and standing up for the, the rights and needs of the users, they've done a fantastic job, but they have left the advertisers out in the cold and they want to address that because the truth is to have a healthy Internet ecosystem, you have to have a healthy relationship between advertisers and people who visit the websites and you have to have a and more importantly, you have to have a healthy relationship between the website owners and the people that visit the websites. And so we've got to find a way to combine all of these uh, all of these things without using tracking material and violating people's privacy. What good is having the open and free Internet if there's no content to see? And that's where that's the direction that we're going to head down if we continually advocate for privacy without doing any 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 addressing of the funding model and try to get these websites money. Basically, this is what you have to do to get your privacy back. This is it right here. The the article says that they and I I think they say this best. They can focus on quality, not clicks. Going down this path allows websites to focus on delivering quality websites and not the most clicks to a website. That's what's in you, the website viewer's best interest. That may or may not be what's in the advertiser's best interest, and that model has to change. They deliver the content that the users want. They become accountable to the users, Not what your advertisers think. Not what your advertisers want. Not what your advertisers want you to show customers. You care about the viewer. You care about the person who came to your site. So how do you sign up for the Firefox Better Web? To try the Firefox Better Web experience, Firefox users simply need to sign up for a Firefox account and install a web extension. As a test pilot, it will only be available to those in the United States. Now, the membership is 50% off for the first six months, and it's $2.50. That means after this trial ends... Uh, after the first six months, it's going to be $5 per month. Now, this goes directly towards uh, to the fund publishers and writers. Early tests, they found that sites make at least 40% more money than they would have made from showing you ads. Why is that? Because advertisers, they, they, they do the throw everything to the wall and see what sticks approach, right? How, I don't know how many times I have ever clicked on an ad in my life, but it has to be in the single digits. I just don't click on ads and I would imagine the vast majority of you don't click on ads because we're very busy people and we sit down at a computer because we want to get something done and when we visit a website and all of a sudden there's all this flash and animation and things taking over the screen and swiping and sliding and whatever it does nothing to make me want to purchase the product all it does is make me irritated whatever name is on my screen I want to get back to my content. There have been times during show prep, I will literally control A, copy the page, open Sublime Text, dump it in there, and I'll read the site in there. Because I'm not just putting up, I'm just not putting up with it. People are sick of it. Quote, in early February of 2019, we announced that we were exploring an alternative revenue models for the web. Before we committed to any particular approach, we wanted to better understand the problem space. The entire investigation followed a very similar arc to the work that we did with Firefox Monitor. We let the users be our guide, putting their expressed needs and concerns at the forefront of all of our work. We also tested cheaply and frequently. At each stage, we increased the level of investment, but also the clarity of the data. Users see ads, here's what they took away. Users see ads as distracting and say their online experience is broken. In the tech world, we call it breakage. Users care a great deal about supporting journalism. Many users intentionally choose not to install ad blockers because of the impact that would have on publishers. Now, I have taken a slightly different approach. I do install ad blockers because I can no longer, I can no longer bear the brunt of trying to care about publishers. Users want to support Mozilla because we're a nonprofit and put our users first within Firefox, a better web that supports publishers and the maker of Firefox. How the Better Web works. So, Firefox Better Web combines the work that they've done with third-party tracking and protection, and Scroll's network of, of publishers, and that makes uh, that makes sure that you're being delivered a top-notch experience while still supporting the publishers and directly directly keeping the web healthy. They use a customized, enhanced and tracking protection system that will block third-party trackers, fingerprints, and crypto miners, and uh, they say that this provides additional privacy and a significant performance boost. Scroll then provides a network of top publishers who provide their content ad-free. Now, essentially what you're doing is you're signing up for a membership. You pay the membership directly to... the, the, The membership is paid directly to the publishers in Scroll's network based on the content that you read. So their hope is that the success of this model will demonstrate to publishers the value of having a more direct, uncluttered connection to their online audience. In turn, the publisher network will continue to grow and include every site that you care about so that your money can go directly for paying for the quality of journalism that you want to read. And if you're a publisher who wants to join this initiative, then contact Scroll to see how this funding model can drive the revenue for you. So the TLDR, the takeaway from this, $5, all the internet you want, none of the privacy crap that that goes with it. This is unbelievably difficult for most companies. Companies exist to make money. That's what they do. In a business, in an organization, you have two columns you have the cost and you have profits. And you talk to any business owner, and most of them will tell you that the primary decision driver of profits and losses, costs and what, the money we're going to make and the money we're going to spend, those are the two primary things that a business owner considers anytime they're making a business decision. And this is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to tell websites that, you know, many of these people are not bad people. The advertisers, the people that run the websites, many of them are loyal to their patrons. But they have to keep the lights on and they have to keep the servers running. And Mozilla is saying we're ready to help connect web creators with the people who are willing to pay for the content. The question is, are you ready to pay for the content? Were they right? Are you willing to pay for the content? Do you value your privacy enough to pay collectively for more for more of it than the advertiser is five bucks a month or were the advertisers right all along and you'd rather have it free from Apple. You'd have, rather have a free Apple than, uh, than a cheap lunch. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. We'd love to have you ask your question or join us also in our interactive mumble room. Uh, you can join the show that way. So this week, we've got a a couple pieces of feedback that I want to get to. The first is a question about a DVD ripper that I'm waiting for my machine to load here. I am Marcus 42 located in Germany and the father of a little boy. In several episodes, you've explained why and how you use local ISO files from ripped DVDs instead of streaming media. I share the goal of keeping all of my media locally, but I'm unable to rip my original discs. So they collect dust in the cupboard. There is a problem where web search insists me to drop to shady sites for Windows ripping software. LibDVD CSS is installed, and Handbrake has both worked on other disks, so I suspect different copy protection measures prevent my PC from being able to read the original. Do I need a new optical drive or updated drive firmware? I hope you can help with this issue without facing legal problems, but maybe you can give me some vague hints as to look for a possible solution. Thanks for the show. You've been an inspiration and helpful to me since, like, forever. Well, I appreciate that, Marcus, and I appreciate you writing into the show. I have actually changed the way that I manage media in the past few years, and here's why. I My natural inclination is to always choose quality over everything else. I want to preserve as much of original data as I possibly can. And what I learned over time is that there is a time and a place for that. When I purchase a Blu-ray or when I purchase a... A DVD, yes, I want an exact digital copy because I paid for that. I deserve to have all of the special features, all of the languages, everything in there I, I, I should be able to keep. And what ends up happening is what ends up happening is you end up losing the disk or you end up ripping it with an alternative piece of ripping software like Handbrake or make MKV, and you throw parts of the disk away. Even if it's just the menus, and so I like to keep all of those things. And so every DVD or every Blu-ray that I've purchased, I have uh, I've I've made a I've I've made an ISO of it. But what I've started to do is when I'm putting DVDs on the TV for kids, uh, with with uh, w- I've started to use make MKV for that, and that allows me to do a couple of things. First of all, it allows it to come up straight in Kodi, just right off the bat, without having to do anything. It just plays, and my kids and my wife have said numerous times that they don't particularly care for the menu. They don't want the advertisements when they click on a movie and the title of the movie, they just want that movie to play. And this, uh, and, and ripping the MKV separately allows that to happen. Additionally, like you, I have had issues with certain DVDs ripping. Um, as far as software to rip the actual ISO, I would just use Braseria or K3B. Um, Both of those are going to be available in any Linux distro, in any repo, and you can install them. They're open source and it will make an ISO rip of the movie. No problem. Cody will play that ISO. No problem. When you want to start doing things like using Jellyfin and you want to sync your media library and then maybe you want to set a VPN connection in and you want your player at your office to play the media from your house and all those kinds of things. That's where using ISOs can get a bit difficult. And so I've started to treat ISO files the exact same way that I treat Photos. When I take photos with my Nikon D800, I keep all of the raw photos, all of the raw sensor data that hasn't been contaminated by the by Nikon's digital processor and down converting to JPEGs. I keep all of those images and I keep them in a separate folder, but I still have the the camera do its best to to spit out JPEGs because that's what's useful for dropping into Telegram and sharing around. Um, And so I have the choice of doing either or I can always go back to the original source files, but I have the finished ones. I do the same thing with video editing. I keep all of my source video footage in its raw original format, and I keep that on a NAS, but the actual produced videos are rendered down to whatever specifications I'm rendering them and, and I and I store the MKV separately. So I've started to treat my media in just the same way. I still want the media files, the actual movie title, to be as high quality as humanly possible. So I, I want to use something like make MKV. I don't want to use something like handbrake. I don't want the file to be re-encoded. I don't want it to be compressed down. I want the original perfect file. But... I'm okay if the if the if the MKV doesn't contain all you know all of the subtitle tracks and all of the special features and all of the menus and stuff like that. If I ever want to go uh, if I ever want to go experience any of those things, I can always go back to the original ISO. But this way, I have two copies of my media. Now, does it occupy twice as much space? Yes, it does. <clears throat> In fact, it really does. It occupy three times as much space because I have to I have my original NAS where the the MKV is stored. I have the backup where it's stored, and I have the offsite backup where it's stored. And so those, yeah, it's occupying twice the space. Um, but I found that to be a very convenient way to go about managing media. And again, circling back to your original question, if you're having trouble ripping the media, make MKV. They release the software specifically uh, to get around that encryption. You have a right to have a digital copy of the media that you've purchased, and I suggest that you do. And uh, and using make make MKV will allow you to do that because they have the latest copy protection, uh, you know, ways to circumvent the, the latest copy protection. And you have a right to do that. You purchase the disk as I purchased the disk again. One eight fifty five four fifty. NOAA that's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at ask dot com. Uh, this comes from Steve. Steve writes in and says in my day to day, I need to log into many devices over SSH. This includes servers, routers and other kind of network gear. For years, I've been in an environment where all such devices have a properly mapped DNS hostname, and I've been perfectly happy opening whatever the default terminal window app is and typing SSH and then the hostname. I'm now in an environment where a large number of devices that I need to log into do not have DNS names, and so I need to SSH uh, to an IP address. I need an SSH client where I can manage all of these IP addresses and so- associate them with a name that I can choose from a list or search for. Since I use multiple workstations and laptops, if this IP database could be automatically synced between them, it could be even better. I am mostly on Ubuntu flavors of Linux, but if said client was available for another OS, including Android, that would be better still. Any recommendations? Thanks. Um, So the the most direct answer that I can think of to your question is to use something like Putty. Putty is available for Linux, despite uh, what some people are aware of. And will allow you to export the configuration of PuTTY. Now, I've never tried to export between operating systems, so I would assume that, you know, the the Linux version will be able to import and export directly to other Linux versions. Okay, but I I couldn't tell you for sure if it would be able to go in between operating systems if you're going to go from, like you say, Android to Windows back to Linux, those kinds of things. Um, but you certainly could sync the configuration. The other thing you could do, if it really was just a matter of mapping host names, I suppose you could sync a, a localhosts.txt file uh, through something like c file. But to be honest, anytime you start monkeying that kind of way under the hood, you open yourself up to some security concerns. From the standpoint that there is an understanding and an assumption at the operate at the at the very basic operating system level that that the the DNS servers and where you're getting your DNS information from is specified in the network configuration and that's and the the local host file is really just for you to modify um anytime you start saying well somebody got access to any one of the machines and could could modify that dns file and it would sync around to all of your other machines uh, they could potentially do some damage so i would i would put some real thought into that before doing it but it is you talk about syncing a, a local ip address you absolutely could do that um Oh, Steve is in the chat room and he says he uses K3B to make ISOs of his DVD, but it doesn't work for Blu-rays. I would try, uh, I would try um, Brasirio. I've used Brasirio once to make an an ISO of a, uh, of a Blu-ray. Most, again, most of the movies that I'm purchasing still are on DVD. um, Just for the size sake of it, if I, if, if, if I could, if I could go from 720 uh, to 1080 in twice the space I would do that but you go from 4.5 gigabytes to 20 some gigabytes per movie and the reality is the vast majority of movies that I'm purchasing are for my kids and I'm just not interested in storing them in that kind of quality but when I purchase a blu-ray um, it when if there's some movie avatar for example I wanted in the full 1080 and when I purchased that I was able to rip it with um so I would give that a shot and see if that works um, and if you do run into a point where you just can't save all of the all of the ISOs because the software doesn't support it. At that point, I would start switching to make a MKV. That's kind of the direction that I'm going. Again, open phone hours for, or phone lines for just a couple of more minutes. one 855 450 Noah. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at AskNOA Show. Dot com. I want to invite you to join the interactive telegram group. I talked about uh, the SSH question and how I, uh, I I looked around to see if there was a way that it could sync between operating systems. I went to the interactive telegram group for that. I went to com and I asked the people there because we have thousands of people that are able to answer questions and, and willing to share their vast knowledge and expertise. And I am around there as much as I can be. Um, and so we've developed a great little community and I would invite you to join it. Also, uh, as I said last week, we are trying to do our part to give you entertainment while you're at home. We want to encourage people to stay home, stay safe, especially for us that work in IT. You couldn't think of a worse environment for a virus to spread than people who go from one device that other people touch to another device that other people touch. And in the process of fixing that device, we have to touch it. Um, and so in in an effort to do that, I've, I, I've asked uh, – I've asked our our producer, JT, to look into some of the videos that we had from Red Hat uh, at Red Hat Summit, which is, of course, being uh, held virtually this year. So all of you will be able to attend it. So there's not a lot that we can report on that you wouldn't be able to get from uh, directly from the horse's mouth, as it were. But last year's video, we had some uploading issues. And so JT has been working his tail off this week and got those remaining videos up. So Chris Wright, and you've heard them, probably heard the interviews on Asno. I think we've run most of them. But uh, Chris Wright. Uh, the chief technology officer, Matt Hicks, Stephanie Chires, and uh, Ruth Seely. All of their interviews are up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash mind media. I also got our first, uh, our latest tutorial done um, on the YubiKeys. And so that's going to be published this week now that we've gotten all the red hat stuff out. So more and more video content coming to keep you entertained while you're at home. Uh, at the end of each episode, I am in contact with the uh, with other conference organizers, and we will try to keep you up to date um, at what conferences are happening and uh, and 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 what's going forward. At the moment, what we know for sure is that the Red Hat Summit is being held virtually. Uh, Linux Fest Northwest in person is canceled. They are going to have some speakers that are going to perform virtually perform are going to present virtually and they are going to try to have some hangout space uh, for people for doing Q&A, so on, and so forth. Um, and so if either of those, if you were looking at traveling or travel plans, you want to make sure to understand that uh, there's not much to attend in person. Uh, as far as we know, again, as of this date. Uh, The best that we know is that self is going to uh, is going to happen. But of course, at the time that that announcement came out that they were going to for sure have self. Obviously, the covid crisis has uh, gotten a lot worse. And to a certain degree, I think that there is a lot of liability. And, and so on and so forth that has to be taken into consideration. And so we'll continue to stay in contact with the conference organizers and get the message out as soon as, as soon as we become aware of it, uh, when something has changed. Um, but right now what we're, what, what the entire country, really the entire world is encouraged to do is to try to travel as, 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 as less as possible as, as infrequently as possible. That would be a better way to phrase that and uh, and try to maintain your distance between other people. A side project that I'm working on uh, on the School of Hard Knocks, another podcast that I do for my, my part-time job over at the radio station, uh, did a leadership episode with Ryan. That is available at schoolofhardknocks.show. I invite you to check that out. Ryan is a phenomenal leader and has has done a fantastic job and shares his life journey. And uh, my dad, I invited I have invited him to join me for an episode on COVID-19. And so we're going to discuss the health and uh, and what he believes the future of COVID-19 looks like as a medical doctor of 32 years working in a lot of emergent situations. And uh, all of that, uh, that episode is not posted yet. It'll be available for you April 1st. Hey, if you want more information, all the things that we can't get to in the show, it's available for you at podcast.asknoahshow.com. That's where all of the articles that I reference here on the show. The Ask Noah Show continues 24-7 over at asknoahshow.com, so make sure to check that out. We'll be back next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Huge thanks to JT, our producer, and uh, Voxtelsys for providing our phone system. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content. Again, asknoahshow.com. Check out youtube.com slash Have a good week.